0: Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Chicago Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. So let's turn over to the book of Exodus tonight, and I want to share some simple things with you, but things that have revolutionized my life. Exodus chapter 3. You know, Exodus chapter three, I haven't got time to give you all of this background on this, but of course this is talking about Moses and this is after Moses tried to accomplish God's will for his life in his own strength and power. Some people don't have that attitude or that perspective about this because you actually let the show, the 10 commandments impact you more than the Bible. (laughs) And in the show, the 10 commandments, Moses was just a nice guy who... Didn't mean to go out and try and bring deliverance to the Jews. He just saw a Jew being oppressed and, and he did this. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In Acts chapter 7 and Hebrews chapter 11, it makes it very clear that Moses knew what God's will for his life was. And when he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand, he was trying to bring deliverance to the Jews. That's important that you understand that. But it didn't work. And so he fled from Egypt. And again, it, make, it makes it look like in the 10 Commandment movie that he fled out of fear. He was forced out. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, it says, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king because he endured as seeing him who was invisible. So that background needs to be understood. Again, most people have been more impacted by the movie than they are by the word, but the word shows that Moses tried to accomplish God's will and when it didn't work, it wasn't because of fear of the king, it was because he knew he messed up and during his 40 years in the wilderness, he had been seeking God and trying to go back and once again rekindle God's purposes and plans for his life. Romans chapter 11 verse 29 says that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. And even though Moses blew it big time and spent 40 years in the wilderness, God's plan for Moses never changed. And all of this is just leading up to where I want to go tonight, but let me just uh, put this in here that there are some of you that feel like you've missed God and you're so far off track that God's plans and purposes for your life certainly are over but Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. God has never changed his purpose for your life. I don't care how bad you mess it up. I liken it to like one of these GPS things that we use to get directions. You know, if you make a wrong turn, it doesn't say, that's it, you'll never get there. <laughs> It says recalculating and it doesn't matter where you turn, that thing can plot a course back to where you need to go. It doesn't matter how far off course you are. And if a GPS system can do that, I can guarantee you God can still accomplish His will in your life. I think sometimes people have more faith in GPS systems than they have in God, but God, his gifts and callings are without repentance. So keep all of that in mind. And here in uh, Exodus chapter three, in verse one, it says, now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Before I go on with this story, let me just remind you that it says when uh, Jacob and all of his sons came into Egypt, that they uh, were, had to go to a special land, the land of Goshen, because all who kept sheep were an abomination in the sight of the Egyptians. That was what was said when Joseph and all of his brethren came down there. And so Moses was raised as an Egyptian. He was raised in Pharaoh's house. He was raised to hate people who were shepherds. And yet here's Moses being the very thing that he was taught to hate. This was about the lowest job that he could possibly have from the background and the upbringing that he had. And so for 40 years, he'd been tending sheep in the desert and and tending these sheep for his father-in-law. And in verse two, it says, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. Here's another point I need to point out. And that is that God appeared unto Moses in just something very natural, which was a bush on fire. You know, sometimes maybe living here, you may not think about this, but out in the West where we live in Colorado, man, there's... Uh, bushes and there's fires and things like this. Things catch on fire all of the time. You know, where I live, I have to burn my trash and we have clumps of grass out there. It's an, it's an arid climate. And during the drought season, you can touch a, a fire, a spark to one of those blades of grass and it literally explodes. It goes, boom, like that. And it'll go five or 10 feet radius. And trees, when they catch on fire, some people don't understand, but those things will explode and throw uh, flames, you know, 100 or 200 or 300 feet. The trees actually explode. And uh, so in these arid climates, it's not unusual to see a bush catch on fire. So it was something relatively uh, natural or normal, but it was supernatural in the fact that it wasn't consumed. Now that's important. There is something natural and see the point of this is that God will reveal himself to you in a supernaturally natural way. If that makes sense to you. Everybody's looking for the spectacular, but God will use natural things, but there will be something peculiar about it if you are looking for God. And again, I refer to that scripture in Hebrews eleven twenty-seven. 27, that it says he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. And the word endure means to be strong. Endure isn't talking about that he was out there saying, God, leave me alone. He was going through this 40 years in the wilderness saying, God, give me another chance. God, I still believe you've got a purpose for my life, even though I messed this up. And he was looking for God. Did you know you can see this repeated? Again, I'm trying to hurry and get to these <laughs> other things, but this is important. There's reasons why some people have these miraculous encounters with God and others don't. And it's because they're looking for it right here. It, let me just read the next verse down here. In verse three, it says, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him. Notice it says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, then God called to him. Why didn't God just call to him? Why didn't God just yell his name Moses? He waited until he turned aside. If Moses would have said, well, another bush burning. And if he would have said, man, Zipporah's is waiting on me to get home, she's probably got supper on the stove right now. And if he would have said, I've got to get home. And if he hadn't have paid attention, God wouldn't have spoken to him. God didn't speak to him until he turned aside and says, I'm going to see this great sight. He was seeking God. He was looking for God. There's a reason why people have encounters with God because they are seeking God. It says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And then it goes on to say in verse 12 and 13 that you shall seek me and you shall find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. When you are seeking with all of your heart is when you find God. And there's a lot of people that would like to have an encounter with God, but they they are just too busy watching television and doing everything else and they aren't seeking God with all of their heart. Moses was willing to turn aside and only when he turned aside did God call to him. You know, in Mark chapter six, this same thing happened. Jesus was walking on the water to go to his disciples and it was obvious that he was coming out there to help them. They were drowning. It looked like they were gonna drown and he came out there to help them and yet it says in Mark chapter six that he made as though he would have passed by them. It's obvious he was coming to help them, but he didn't just run out and wave his arms and guys, hold on, I'm coming. He just walked by them. And if they hadn't called out to him and have sought his help, he would have walked by them. And then in the 24th chapter of the book of Luke, you can see the same thing on the resurrection day. He walked with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it says he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him to come in. Amen. And so here's a number of instances where the Lord will present himself to you, but if you aren't seeking him, if you're occupied with other things, I believe that we miss the Lord often. God speaks to you. God does things, but most of the time we're just too busy to really pay attention. Moses, when he turned aside, then is when the Lord called unto him out of this bush. That's important. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, God wants to intervene in your life. He wants to touch your life more than you want him to touch you. But he does it in subtle ways. You'll miss him if you aren't looking for him. You'll miss it. I could give you a lot of examples in my life about that very thing. And so the Lord called to him in verse four, called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from thy feet for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. You know, any place that the Lord meets with you, that's holy ground. This wasn't because that ground was special than any other piece of ground. The thing that made it holy was God's presence. And if God is with you, then you know, wherever that is, that's holy. And you need to recognize that it's the presence of God that makes things holy. In verse nine, it says, moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows. You know, again, there's another application to us and sometimes people think God just doesn't care that God doesn't know what I'm going through. God knows your affliction. God knows everything that's happening to you. Sometimes you may not feel that way. You may be like those disciples over in the fourth chapter of the book of Mark that went to wake him up and said, master, don't you care that we perish? People are doing those kind of things, but I guarantee you, God knows your sorrows. He knows everything about you. And in verse uh, eight, it says, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the um, Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and all of the other ites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them." Come now therefore and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. And look at this, this is what I was wanting to get to. Right here in verse 11, and Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Boy, this is a huge question. This is a huge question. And this is the point I was wanting to get to and ask you tonight. Who are you that you should do these things that God has asked us to do? And you know, specifically talking about Moses, 40 years before this, Moses had been raised in the lap of luxury. He was one of the most powerful men in Egypt. You know, outside of just the Bible, I've actually read some secular histories of Moses. And Moses went and conquered the Ethiopians. He was a mighty general and he was one of the most successful generals that they ever had in Egypt. And he brought in, it says this in uh, uh, the book of uh, Exodus right here, that there had never been this amount of spices and things like this come into, into Egypt. And Moses conquered and he was a powerful general. He was probably second or third in command or in line to take over the nation of uh, Egypt. He was a powerful man. And if you did see the movie, The Ten Commandments, you know, as he rode along in the chariots, they'd cry out, Moses, Moses, and people would bow. Moses had been somebody important. He had been mighty and powerful, but it had been 40 years since he had left Egypt and, and you know what? An entire generation had come and gone. Most of the people now didn't even know who Moses was. He was a nobody and he was herding sheep, something that was loathed by all of the Egyptians. And for 40 years, Moses had been basically a nobody. And when God spoke to him about bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, he said, who am I? And let me say a couple of things about this. You know what? You need to come to a place to where you recognize that without the Lord, you are nobody. And you know, that's not really a lot, uh, that's not real popular. In our day and age, even churches will have things about positive self-esteem. We try and make our kids feel good about themselves, even when they're wrong. You know, my son and my granddaughter, my son's got a lot of things. He still needs to get uh, straightened out, but he's got some things that really are good. And uh, my granddaughter came home from school and I forgot what it was now, but anyway, it was some kind of a contest they had and they gave everybody a prize. Everybody won first place. There was no winner or loser. And my granddaughter came home showing that and Peter got that and he says, we aren't keeping that. He says, that's wrong. He says, man, there's only one person that wins. He says, you need to learn how to deal with competition and stuff. And he's telling her that, you know what? If you don't perform, that's not good. There's a lot of people today that think that's a terrible attitude. But you know what? You need to recognize that you you don't do everything perfectly. There is a place for you realizing your inadequacies and our generation today is trying to say that, no, that's not so. We're all just perfect. We're all the same. It's not true. We aren't all the same. We were all created equal. We have equal opportunity, but not everybody takes that opportunity and not everybody excels and you shouldn't give equal pay and make everything equal. Thank you for those couple of amens. I may not be speaking to a very favorable group tonight. I'm not sure how you feel, but that's just not, it's not right. Did you know what? It was good that Moses had come to a place, God, who am I? Nobody knows me now. I'm nothing, I'm nobody. I'm herding sheep. It's been a generation since I was anybody important. You've got to come to the end of yourself before you find the beginning of God. And there's a lot of people, there may be people right here in this auditorium that you've got awards, you've got doctor's degrees, PhD degrees. You could have 30 degrees and still be frozen. You know what, it doesn't matter what you are in the sight of the Lord. The Lord said those that are highly esteemed among men are foolishness to God. And I'm telling you, there's some people that the reason God doesn't use them and that they haven't had a miraculous experience like Moses had here is because you are so confident in your own self and in your own ability. You've got to come to the end of yourself before you find the beginning of God. And Moses had to get all of this confidence in himself. You know, it says over in the book of Acts that he was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Moses said right here in the fourth chapter, he says, I can't talk, not before you've spoken to me, nor since. But the scripture says he was mighty in words and deeds. The truth is he, was, uh, he had just lost this self-confidence. Most people think that that is all, that's wonderful. You've got to really be self-confident and assertive. I believe that Christians should have Christ esteem and not self-esteem. Amen. We need to be confident in what Jesus has done, but not in yourself. And Moses had come to that place to where he was at the end of himself. Who am I? And so you have to come to the end of yourself. You have to get rid of this egotistical, self-inflated opinion that everybody has of themselves. And you got to get rid of that before God can really use you. Let me use this passage of scripture over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. This is the apostle Paul talking about the type of person that God uses. And it says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world, and things which are not are, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught think, uh, things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. This is saying, here's the type of person that God is looking for. God is looking for people who are base, who are weak, who are despised, who are nothing. And the reason he's looking for those kind of people is so that when God uses you, he gets the credit and not you. And yet there's many people that are saying, God, you just get me introduced. You get me on the platform and I can handle it from here. God's not looking for you and I don't care how good you are. You know, I've known people before that had great, awesome voices and that were very successful in the natural realm. And yet I've had some of them fill in and do praise and worship. And you know what? They're a loser when it comes to praise and worship because it's all about them. They're promoting themselves. They are wanting everybody to be impressed with their voice and their ability and they aren't worshiping God. One of the things I love about Daniel and the praise and worship, it's good, the quality's good, but it, they're worshiping God. It's not about them. The emphasis is put on the Lord. I've seen people that had all of these natural talents and abilities, and I tell you, God will skip over people like that. Not that he's a lowbrow. It's not that he's against anybody, but God is looking for somebody who will give the glory to him and not take it for themselves. Amen. I had a man come to one of my meetings once and after the meeting was over, he wrote me a letter and he says, how come you gotta be a hick from Texas before God uses you? And he put me in the category with Hagen and Copeland, people like that. And he says, how come you gotta be a hick from Texas? And I wrote back and I said, it's because hicks from Texas know that if it's God doesn't do it, it's not gonna get done, amen. We don't have any confidence in ourselves. If you're a talented person, it's not that God doesn't love you, but he loves you in spite of your natural ability and your natural accomplishments. The people that God honors are people that honor him. First Samuel chapter two, verse 30, he says, those who honor me, I will honor and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. I'm telling you, we've got so much screwed up thinking in our world today. They put pictures of people who are movie stars and athletes and politicians and things like this on the, on the face of our magazines. And these are the people that people emulate. You know, I hesitate to say some of these things because I'm not against anybody and I know I'm gonna step on some toes, but God can heal your toes. <laughs> I've never watched American Idol and you know, You've Got Talent and I've never seen any of those things, but I've heard about it and it's amazing to me how people just get so excited about all of these people who are just there glorifying themselves. and they, if you put all of their integrity into a thimble, it would be nearly empty. It'd slosh around in there. And we put these people on our magazine covers and the people who are really godly people, we don't watch them, we don't glorify them. I tell you, something's way out of whack when the idols are people that are just glorifying themselves and don't give God the time of day. Something's wrong with this stuff. And I'm telling you, we just, and this spills over and you think that if you aren't doing something dramatic, if your picture isn't on the, front of some magazine that somehow or another you aren't important. I think when we get to heaven and we see things from God's perspective, we're going to be shocked at who's not honored and shocked at who is honored. There are going to be some people that nobody in this life gave glory and credit to. And man, God, they're going to shine like the stars forever. God evaluates things differently. He says, What good does it do to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? There's gonna be people that are just the man of the year, the woman of the year. They're gonna be famous worldwide and they will they'll split hell wide open. God is not gonna honor them. You know, sometimes you gotta get terrified before you get edified. And so this is going to wind up positive tonight, but I'm telling you that you got to come, you got to come to the end of yourself before you find the beginning of God. And as long as you are just so thrilled with how awesome you are, you aren't worthy. You aren't usable for God. That usually goes over about like that. But then there's got to be the flip side to this coin. Even though you come to the end of yourself, now you've got to start being confident in who Christ is and the power of his word. And when God speaks something to you, you've got to start putting confidence in him. You know, it goes on to say there in Exodus chapter three, let me turn back over to Exodus chapter three. Right after Moses says, who am I? Look at how God answered him. In verse 30, or excuse me, where is that? Verse 11 is where Moses said, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with thee and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt you shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you and they shall say unto me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? So here's the second question. Moses says, who am I that I should do this? Next he says, who are you? (laughs) And you know what? You can only really find out who you are when you find out who God is. You have to find your identity in God. And sadly, I think that most Christians do not know who they are in Christ. They establish their own identity. Maybe you're successful and you're a person that's won all of these awards and accolades, and so you've got a self confidence. Or you might be one of these people that you've tried things on your own and you failed, and because of it, you just are such a failure. You've got a terrible uh, image on the inside. Neither one of those is right. You have to come to the end of yourself, but then you have to find your identity in God. And so he says, who are you? And um, look at how the Lord responded unto them in verse uh, 13. And Moses said unto God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your father has sent me unto you, they shall say unto me, uh, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thou shalt say unto them unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto thee. Well, there's a lot that could be said about that, but God is whatever you need him to be. If God calls you to be a doctor, a lawyer, a minister, a husband, a wife, he calls you to do anything, whatever it is that you need, that's what he is to you. And you have to find your identity in Christ and not in yourself. And the good news is that in the New Testament, we have all become new people in the Lord Jesus and we have an identity and you have a supernatural ability placed on the inside of you. But this same principle that we're talking about right here, you've got to come to the end of your trust in yourself. You got to get to where you are no longer trying to do your thing and ask God to bless it. But you come to a place, God, I'm not moving. I'm not doing anything until you speak to me. What do you want me to do? And then like the Lord told Moses, God will be with you. If God told you to do something, you don't have to ask God's blessing on it. You know, I have people come up in these uh, lines and every time I'll have people say, would you just bless me? Would you speak a blessing over me? Would you do this? And I understand what they're saying and I try and not be nice about it. But you know, if you're doing what God told you to do, you don't have to ask God to bless it. You don't have to have somebody bless you. When God calls you to do something, when he told Peter, you know, come, one word, come in that one word was enough power to walk on top of the water. He didn't have to bless him or do something else. When God tells you to do something, He would be unjust to call you to do it and then expect you to get it done under your own steam and power. It's the same thing with finances. You know, the Lord spoke to me during a recession to start building a Bible college, turned out to be $32 million for the first building. And you know what? I never one time asked God to bless that. I never asked God for any money. I never missed a night's sleep worrying about where it was coming from because I did what God told me to do. It's his responsibility. I don't have $32 million. He had to do it. And when you know that you're doing what God called you to do, there is a supernatural flow and peace with it that you'll never have when you're doing your own thing and trying to get God to bless it. Instead of starting your business and asking God to bless your business, just find out what is it that God wants you to do. And if he tells you to do it, then you do it. I had a woman come up that was asking for prayer tonight and she says, I've tried, I felt like God led me and I tried and things just didn't work out. And so then I went in a different direction and she was asking for prayer. And I said, you know what you need to do is get a word from God. What does God tell you to do? And then head in that direction, and if, the, and if there's a mountain in your way, move it. Don't sit there and wait on things to work out. If God tells you to do it, just do it. You've got to get to a place where God is whatever it is that you need to be. You need to find your identity in him. And in the new covenant, you know, I had two experiences similar to what happened right here. I became a very self-sufficient person. I was a religious Pharisee thinking that God, I'm holy. I'm doing all of these things that I'm told to do. And I thought that God was gonna use me because of my great holiness. And then God showed up. I had a burning bush experience. And I fell on my face. I was in the presence of a holy God. I recognized all of my righteousness was like filthy rags compared to what God wanted. And I came to the end of myself. And you know what, that was good. And I had to come to the end of myself. And I saw some good things happen, but then the second most important encounter I ever had with the Lord happened on January the 31st of 2002. And that's where the Lord told me I was limiting what He could do in my life because of my small thinking. And there was a number of things involved in that, but one of those things was I just did, I had seen myself as nothing without Him, but I hadn't fully seen myself as who I was with Him. There has to be this flip side of the coin You have to come to the end of yourself, but then you also have to recognize that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And there's a ditch on both sides of this road. You can't just get over here and get to where you feel like, oh God, I'm nothing without you. That will... It may take away some of the arrogance and it may solve some problems in your life, but you're never gonna see God use you. You're gonna limit God unless you also get the other side of this. And that is that I can do anything through Christ. And your confidence is totally in the Lord and not in yourself. You gotta have these, what appears to be opposites, you gotta have these opposites in tension, in balance in your life where you have no confidence in yourself. If you mess up, it doesn't devastate you because you didn't think that highly of yourself in the first place. (laughs) You know, I was over at a friend's house and their dog came up to me and stuck his nose right in my crotch and started licking me and licking himself in places that he wasn't supposed to. And these people were just so embarrassed. And they, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I don't know why he did this. And I said, it's because he's a dog. (laughs) I said, it's the dog in him that came out. (laughs) But you know what? There are some people that you can can paint their toenails and put a bow in their hair and do whatever you want and make them look like something else, but they're a dog. (laughs) And if you leave them on their own, they're gonna act like a dog. And it just surprises me how people get shocked at the way dogs act sometimes, because it's a dog in them. Well, there's some of you that, I just can't believe I did that. That's because you don't realize that without Jesus, your carnal part of you is a fallen human being and you are capable of doing anything that anybody else is capable of. You had too high of an opinion of yourself. When you understand this, and then you mess up, you'll say, well, that's, that's the way it is without Jesus. You know, it's like flying in an airplane. You can be flying at five or 600 miles an hour at 35,000 feet and you think you're just awesome. That's not you that's awesome. It's your position in that plane that allows you to do that. And if you don't believe it, step out of that plane and see how awesome you are. <laughs> I guarantee you, you will sink like a rock. And so if you understand these things properly, well then you recognize it's only when you're in Christ, it's only when you're following his directions, when you're flowing with what God tells you to do that you really have the ability. Other than that, you get outside of the Lord and you do bad things just like anybody else who's outside of the Lord. The longer you stay in the Lord, your flesh doesn't get any better. Your flesh isn't getting any better. You know what's getting better? Is your ability to deny your flesh and stay in the spirit. But you step out of the spirit and back into the flesh and you're as capable of being mean and ornery and ugly as you ever were. Your flesh isn't getting better. And it doesn't matter if your flesh is better than mine. You could have USDA choice flesh and it's still flesh, amen. Flesh is flesh. You got to walk in the spirit in order to be able to have the things of God. So you've got to learn that you are nothing in your flesh, in your natural self, but then you've got to step over and find out who you are in Christ and get a revelation of him. And the Lord spoke to me in 2002 that I was limiting him because I was sitting here. I knew my limitations and I was just imposing those things upon God. But the Lord spoke to me. I needed to take the limitations off of God and I needed to start believing in who he was in me. And when I did that, our ministry just totally changed. It, it's exploded. I could spend a lot of time uh, talking about that. Look over here in the fourth chapter of the book of Exodus and I wanna illustrate this to you. Moses, five different times after God told him, you're gonna go back to Egypt and you're going to bring the children of Israel out. Five different times he says no, I can't do it. No, they won't believe me. Right after he said they will believe you, he said no, they won't believe me. And so in chapter 4, Moses is still continuing to complain and Moses answered and said but behold they will not believe me. He had just said in the previous verse they will believe you. And he said no, they won't believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. It was just a stick. If Moses would have hit a rock with this stick, it would have jarred him or it would have broken this stick. It was just a stick. And God said unto him, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from before it. And you got to remember, he was in the presence of God. He was on holy ground. He had taken his shoes off. He was afraid to look on God. He was in the awesome presence of God. And yet when this rod turned into a snake, he was willing to forsake it all to get away from that snake. That says a lot about how Moses felt about snakes. He wasn't one of these snake handlers that this was no big deal to him. Man, he was gonna forsake the presence of God that he had been looking for for 40 years to get away from this snake. And so it says he fled from before it. And in verse four, the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And before we read the rest of this verse, let me just remind you that Moses didn't know the last part of verse four. He hadn't written it yet. When God said, pick up this snake by the tail, when you pick up a snake, you have to grab it behind its jaws so that if its body turns, it can't bite you. If you pick it up by the tail, that snake can turn and bite you. This was basically a death sentence. And you know what, I believe there's, there's so much more I could say about this, but Moses had been self-willed. God revealed to him 40 years before what his will was. And Moses just assumed that God was gonna use his great position. I mean, after all, he was a Jew that was supposed to have been killed But instead of being killed, he was saved and he was saved by Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in Pharaoh's home. He was second or third in command. All of this logic, it looked like God had given him this position and God was gonna use his position and his strength and his natural ability and his wisdom being taught in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And so Moses went out and tried to accomplish God's will in his own strength and power. But it wasn't God's way of doing it. And so for 40 years, Moses had been in the wilderness saying, God, I'll do it your way. God, give me another chance. This time I'm gonna do what you say. I'm not leaning on my own self. And you know what this was? This was his final exam. He'd been saying, God, I'll do anything. Just tell me what to do. And God says, pick it up by the tail, which looked like death. And Moses didn't know that it was gonna turn back into a snake. From his perspective, this was a death sentence. And Moses, to his credit, was willing to obey God and follow God's instructions, even if it killed him. Man, that's big. This is huge. You know, when the Lord spoke to me and touched my life, the, the immediate thing that happened within a month of God changing my life, God spoke to me and told me to quit school, which that's not for everybody. If you're gonna be a doctor, you need to go to school and learn this stuff, amen. And, but God told me to quit secular school. And I, got a, I had a deferment from the government From going to Vietnam, I was getting money from the government, from my father's social security. As long as I stayed in school, I was accepted by my family and friends. But when God spoke to me about quitting school, did you know it cost me money? It sent me to Vietnam. I could have died. It looked like it was going to kill me. But it's what the Lord told me to do. And I literally laid my life. It's the same thing that Moses did. He took this rod, which was the tool of his trade. It's how he fought off animals. It's how he dealt with the sheep. It's how he climbed mountains. It was like the tool of his trade. And he took his rod and threw it down before God and it turned into a snake. And God said, pick it up by the tail. When you pick it up by the tail, that that means that you aren't in control anymore. God is in control. And I, the Lord told me to do this, throw my life down, all of my plans. I had a plan for my life. I was gonna go through school and do all of these things. And God told me to give it all up and lay my life down before God. And you know what, I did that and it looked like it was gonna kill me. I had a lot of people tell me you're crazy for doing this. Don't you realize they're gonna send you to Vietnam? Don't you realize you're gonna get killed over there? But honestly, I knew I was doing what God told me to do. And I took it back up. And you know, when he picked up the the stick by the tail, the serpent by the tail, it turned back into a stick. If somebody else would have been looking at this, they would have thought, well, that's just a stick. I bet you that you could have taken a shaving of it and sent it off to a lab someplace and they would have told you exactly what kind of stick it was. It just, it didn't look any different. Ever, to everybody else, it looked the same. When you throw your life down before the Lord and when you make this absolute surrender and God, I'll do whatever you say, God will give you back your life. You pick, but you pick it up by the tail. It's no longer your life, it's God's life. He put this power on the inside of you. And to other people, it may, you may look the same and it may look like nothing has happened, but between you and God, something has happened. You laid your life down. It looked like it was gonna be the worst thing that you ever did, but you picked it up by the tail in obedience to God and now it becomes God's life. Look down here in Exodus chapter four and in verse 20. After all this was over, it says, and Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass and he returned unto the land of Egypt and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Did you know in verse two, he says, what's in your hand? He says, it's a rod, it's a stick. It was just a stick. But now that he had laid it down, it turned into a serpent. It looked like it was gonna kill him. He picked it up by the tail in obedience to God. Now it was God's stick. It was God's rod is what this says. And it calls it that a number of times. Now Moses could hit a rock with that rod and the rock would split and water would come out and feed millions of people and all of their animals. He could hold it up over the Red Sea and it would part the Red Sea. He held it up over the Nile and it turned into blood. He held it over the land and it turned into lice and frogs. It, was, it looked like the same stick, but it was now God's stick. You know what? You may look like the same person, but if you were to come to the end of yourself, turn your life over to God. And even when it looks like what God is telling you to do, it's gonna kill all of your hopes and dreams. But if you would just take it up by the tail and say, it's not my life. You know, the apostle Paul said this in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, I'm crucified With Christ, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It wasn't his life anymore. It was Christ living in him. Every Christian should be like this. We should lay our life down. He died for us. He bought our salvation. He has purchased us and every one of us needs to come to the end of our self-confidence, the end of our self-promotion and we need to lay our life down and I can guarantee you, God will lead you to do something that looks like it's gonna kill you. It never does, but that's your carnal thinking. The ways of men are not the ways of God and God will lead you to do things that look crazy. You know, in the very beginning of our ministry, God told me to give away my tapes and CDs and books and things like this. And I've now given away, I couldn't even tell you, but counting what goes on the internet, uh, tens of millions, probably 30, 40 million books, CDs, things. Did you know to the natural mind that makes no sense? I had three general managers that every time I brought them in and we had financial problems, they'd say, you got to quit giving things away. You got to sell them. And I wound up firing all them because God told me to do it. You know what? It doesn't make sense. People think that's crazy. How are you going to do this? But now in hindsight, that is one of the reasons that our ministry has touched so many people is because people take the free stuff. I look back at it now and that's one of the smartest decisions I ever made. And yet I really didn't make it. God told me to do it. I didn't come up with the idea. He just told me to do it and I did it and we struggled for a while, but now God is just blessing us hand over fist. I'm telling you, whatever God tells you to do to your natural mind, it's gonna look like the worst thing that could ever happen, but God wants your prosperity more than you want it. It may be different than what you want. You may not be the next rock star. He might have a different purpose for your life, but God will bless you. I was down here talking to Kim and Carly during the praise and worship, and they were saying this is the best thing, seeing people's lives change. We just love what we do. I think it was Cindy and uh, Gail were both saying that this is the greatest job on the earth is seeing people's lives change. You know what, God's asked all of us to do things that may have been different than the path that we thought we were gonna take at one time. But now that we're following God, this is the greatest thing to see people's lives change. And I can promise you that there are some of you that don't know the joy of being right in the center of God's will. You don't know for sure that you're doing what God called you to do. And I pity you. Life is too short. TO GO THROUGH LIFE AND WONDER, IS MY LIFE COUNTING? I MEAN, YOU NEED TO KNOW THAT YOU'RE IN THE CENTER OF GOD'S WILL. THERE IS A SATISFACTION AND A PEACE AND A JOY THAT KNOWS WHEN YOU'RE, YOU KNOW YOU'RE DOING WHAT GOD CALLED YOU TO DO THAT MANY PEOPLE DON'T HAVE. THERE ARE SOME OF YOU THAT HAVE A HOLY DISSATISFACTION. YOU MAY NOT RECOGNIZE IT AS A HOLY DISSATISFACTION, BUT YOU DON'T HAVE THE PEACE AND THE JOY that God wants you to have because you aren't doing what he wants you to do. He can't bear witness. Thank you for that thunderous silence. I'm telling you, this is one of the ways that God has told me that it's time to move on because I, I remember being in uh, Sigaville, Texas and I love that place. Everybody told me to leave this place. It's the end of the world. Get out of here. They don't want to hear you. We, people were staying away from our church by the thousands. And... Uh, they were telling me to leave. And yet I just loved Sigaville. And I stayed there for two years. And then one day I was down at the church building. I looked out the window and it's just like somebody flipped a switch. And I looked and I said, this is the most desolate place on the face of the earth. Why would anybody be here? And all of a sudden I just hated it. It was such a drastic change on the inside of me that I thought, God, what is going on? And I stayed there at the church and prayed for two or three hours. And after praying for a couple of hours, the Lord told me, he says, it's time for you to leave uh, Seagoville. And uh, he even told me, you'll be moving on the 1st of November. And this was around August or September. He says, you'll be moving on the 1st of November. And so I prayed about it and I thought, man, how am I gonna tell Jamie this? So I went home to tell Jamie what I was feeling in my heart. And when I got home, there was a for sale sign in our front yard. And I went in and I said, what's the for sale sign? He said, the landlord came by and told us that they're selling the house. We've got to be out November the 1st. (laughs) I said, I think that's God. And you know what? God took the joy of living there out because it it was time for me to go. There are some of you that the reason you don't have joy and the reason you're, you're bummed out and you hate things is because you aren't where God told you to be. And you can rebuke it and pray over it, but you aren't gonna have the Holy Spirit give you the same peace and the same joy that comes when you are directly in the center of His will. You know, I went and spoke in, uh, in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. A partner has a business there and he has me come in and speak to his people and tells them the clock is running. I'm paying you, listen to this guy as long as he wants to talk and I preach. and see great things happen. And anyway, one year I went there and when I came out from ministering to the staff, there was a, there was a Oriental lady sitting at the desk and she wasn't back there in the group with the rest of them. So I went up and started talking to her and I said, so who are you? And she says, oh, I'm the new kid here. And they put me answering the phones while everybody else was in the back. And she said, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm the one that was back there Uh, speaking to everybody else. And she says, what do you do? And I said, I'm a minister. And she says, for who? And I said, the Lord Jesus Christ. And she says, you're the one. And I said, I'm the one what? And she said that she was a Buddhist. And the night before she was going through her rituals, whatever they were. And she said, she knew that there was a God but she just didn't think that Buddha was it. And so right in the midst of her ritual, she just stopped and she says, God, I know you exist, but I can't believe that this is you. Who are you? Reveal yourself to me. And she said that this ball of light came up right in front of her and it was just pulsing. And she heard a voice saying, tomorrow I'll send you a man who'll tell you who I am. And she says, You're the man. And I said, I'm the man, amen. (laughs) And I got to lead this lady to the Lord. She got born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when I got back out to the car, you talk about happy and feeling like God. I was exactly where you wanted me to be. And there is a peace and a satisfaction that goes over something like that that you won't ever get just doing your own thing and saying, God, I hope this pleases you. You need to lay your life down and take it by the tail so that, you know, Moses said this over in Exodus chapter 33, I believe it is. He was saying, God, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will be with you and I will go with you and I'll direct you. And Moses, his response was, well, of course, I was expecting that. He says, if you aren't going with me, I'm not moving from this place. You need to have that attitude. Instead of saying, well, God, you know, I've asked you to speak to me and nothing happened, so I guess I'll just carry on and do my own thing. You need to get to a place where God, I'm not going any further. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna live the rest of this year. Next year this time, I'm not going to be doing the same thing, wondering if it pleases you. I'm not doing anything unless I know for sure it's your will. I tell you, this is huge, what I'm saying right here. And this is exactly why many of you don't have the peace and the joy that you want, is because you are running your own life. God is going to do something similar with what He did with Moses right here. He wants to reveal himself to you, but you've got to get to where you're seeking him, where you turn aside, you listen, and then you've got to get out of being self-confident and asking God to bless your thing. And you just got to lay your life before him. It'll look like when you do that, that you're ruining your life. It'll kill you, but you pick it up by the tail and now it's not your life anymore. It's Christ living through you. And the life that you are living, you're living by His strength and by His power. And you'll be able to prosper through a recession when everybody else is is suffering. You'll be able to be well when everybody else is sick. You'll be able to have joy and peace when it looks like the world is crashing in around you because you laid your life down and it's no longer your life. We were singing that song tonight that, you know, um, whatever may pass... Whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. And I was sitting there thinking that there's a lot of people that haven't committed their life to God that way. And it just depends on how their day goes, whether or not they're gonna be singing at the end of the day, whether they're gonna be praising God. But you can come to the end of yourself that you just, or you're gonna praise God, it doesn't matter what happens. I mean, if worse comes to worse, and if you die, you go to be with the Lord and spend eternity with the Lord. You can reach a place where God, I'm just dead to myself. You're the only one that care, you're the only one I care about. And I'd love to think that everybody comes out on a Saturday night has had that kind of a relationship with God. But I tell you, I've just dealt with too many people to know that that's not true. There's very few people that have really run up a white flag, have turned their life over to God, and they would say that, God, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything. And if it looks like it's going to kill me, I'll do it. Some of you may know Happy Caldwell. He's a pastor in uh, Arkansas and he's a friend of mine and he comes and ministers in our school. And I was recently at a minister's conference and he just turned his church over to a man who grew up in his church and he was overseas ministering and Happy called him and he came back and he gave his whole facility. I don't even know how much it's worth, but 20 million or something. He built it for 39 years. He and his wife built up this church, thousands of people, television and all of these things. And he has this huge ministry and Happy just gave it to this guy, lock, stock and barrel, just gave it. And he was talking about how God put it on his heart that there is a new chapter in his life and now he's gonna start doing something else. And in the midst of his ministry, he was encouraging people. He says, you know, every one of us sooner or later, is gonna run our course and we need to be willing to turn things over and you need to do it at your peak instead of waiting until you're waning and the whole ministry has died. And he challenged all of the ministers. He says, would you be willing to walk away from whatever it is that you've got? And you know, I thought about this and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this, but Jamie and I struggled for so many years and now God has blessed us And we've got, we're reaching millions and millions, billions of people. And we've got a Bible college going that's gaining traction. People's lives are being changed and on and on. And I sat there and thought, God, could I walk away? If you told me to move to Africa and live in a grass hut and minister to people in some little village, would I be able to just walk away and give this stuff? And you know what? It didn't take five seconds. And I said, I absolutely I'd walk away from everything I've got, without a doubt. I'd give all of it up. Now, I'd I'd have to have the Lord convince me (laughs) because I believe God's doing something big and I've got vision for way down the road and so I don't see that coming. But I can honestly say that I'd walk away from anything I've got. I made that decision 46 years ago, March the 23rd, 1968. I made that decision and I've walked it out. I quit school when it looked like I was gonna go to Vietnam, could have been killed. I've gone to places and ministered when it looked like that was the end of the earth. There is no way to leave this place, but feet first. I'd leave successful things and go there. And I have followed this out and I have followed to the best of my ability what God has told me to do. And I'm telling you, I made this decision 46 years ago. And today, if the Lord told me to do anything, I'd do it. I just don't relate to people. I was talking to one guy tonight who God has spoken to him about coming to school, but he just just can't see doing it. I don't relate to that. Man, if God told me to do something, I'd do it if it killed me. If it looks like it's gonna destroy me, if it looks like I have to pick it up by the tail and it's gonna turn around and kill me, I'd do whatever God tells me to do. And I believe that with all of my heart. There are some of you saying, I don't believe that. Well, I do. And I'm telling you, it'd work. And every one of us, every one of you need to come to a place of, God, what do you want me to do? Does God want you to be working this job? I'm not saying that he doesn't, but I'm saying you need to pray until you get the confirmation that God is the one who put you in this position, that God is the one that's doing these things. And see, when you do that and you take your life back, but you've now got it by the tail, you aren't the one who's dictating and trying to get God to bless you, but instead you've picked it up by the tail. Then it becomes the rod of God. It gives you supernatural power. God will multiply what you're doing. And I'm telling you, there is something so satisfying about knowing that God is the one who's flowing through you. God gives you an ability that you can't have on your own. I don't care if you're the most talented person in this place. One person with God is superior to one person with all of their talents and abilities and everything else. I'm telling you, God will make you look good. But you've got to come to the end of yourself And then you've got to lay that down and God will give it back to you and he'll let you make the decisions, but you're making those decisions under his leadership, under his submission. And when you do that, it's supernatural. So over in the 14th chapter of the book of Exodus, you find that Moses, after he had delivered the children of Israel, he used the rod of God. He came to the Red Sea and all of the people saw the Egyptians coming after them and they wanted to mutiny. And they said, let's appoint a captain and go back and submit ourselves to the Egyptians. And Moses stood up and said, you know, be still. You don't have to fight. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then the next verse, it's around verse 12, 13 down there. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses and says, why are you crying unto me? Get up off your face and speak to the people that they move forward. Now I'm reading between the lines, but right after he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The next verse, God said, why are you crying unto me? Apparently Moses, I mean, here was a mutiny. All of these people coming at him and Moses stands up and says, Be still, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And it apparently stopped them. And the people were just stopped looking at it. But the Egyptians were still coming. The situation was getting worse. And here's Moses. He stopped all of the people. And apparently it looks to me like he must've fallen on his face after he stilled the people. Oh God. Help, oh God. And it says, Why are you crying unto me? My first thought was, Man, there's probably 10,000 Egyptian reasons why I'm crying out unto you. (laughs) And the Lord said, Stretch forth your rod. Moses had fallen back into, Oh God, I can't. Oh God, I'm nothing. Oh God, what are we going to do? Here's this terrible situation. And God reminded him, He says, You've got my rod. You got my stick. You hold my stick out over and you tell the people to go forward. He told them to stand still. God said, tell them to go forward. And you know what? He had, he was falling back into this thing, looking at the problem that was bigger than him and thinking, oh God, who am I? And God reminded him that you are the man with my stick. You're the one that has my rod. And he says, you use what you've got. And you hold that up. And I tell you, you, I don't think that we ever just perfectly get this in balance and that you're just 100% Holy Ghost and that there's no flesh involved. I don't think that it's like that. We, we go like this. You constantly have to be brought back to remind yourself that, you know, I'm nothing without Christ. But then you can get in a ditch over here and the Lord will have to bring you back. But boy, you can do all things through Christ and you get really excited. You start seeing victories and start thinking, look what I did and God brings you back. Oh, you're nothing without me. And you just go like this. And Moses was kind of like this. You know, somebody heard me talk about Jim Irwin said that they went to the moon like this. They had a course correction every 10 minutes. They didn't go straight to the moon and land there. They went like that and yet they got there. The Christian life is like that. You aren't ever pure Holy Spirit or pure carnal, probably sometimes more pure carnal than pure Holy Spirit, but, but we have to put it in balance and you just you'll have the Lord doing a course correction and getting you back on track for the rest of your life, reminding you of this. But Moses held up that rod and if he hadn't have taken the authority and the power that God had given him, I believe that he and the children of Israel could have been destroyed right there. There's a time to cry out to God, but there's a time to take the authority and do what God has given you and operate in it. And Moses had to take that stick and use it, that rod. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, every person in here needs These things that we've talked about tonight, you've got to come to the end of yourself to where you are no longer controlling your life. You've got to come to the end of yourself before you find the beginning of God. But then you've got to, once you find God, once you turn your life over, He will give it back. And now you've got to believe that I've got the power and the authority of God. And instead of just begging God to move in your life, you need to stand up and use the authority that God has given you and be bold with it. You've got to keep these two things in balance. And I'm telling you, this is something that the Holy Spirit will help you to accomplish, but you're the one that has to make the decision. God will not force you to give your life over to him. You know, the scriptures that changed my life are Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. The very first scriptures that God ever spoke to me supernaturally. And that says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Some translations say it's your normal Christian duty. This is not just for the preachers. This isn't just for the super saints, for the super dudes. This is for Joe Blow, Jane Doe, Christian. Everybody is supposed to submit your body as a living sacrifice. And then verse two says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, the word transform there is the Greek word metamorpho. It's the word we get metamorphosis from where a caterpillar spins a cocoon and then comes out a butterfly. Did you know that that caterpillar has to die to be in a caterpillar? It ceases to be a caterpillar before it can come out a butterfly. Some of us are wanting the victory that's in Christ without ever dying to that old self and our self-confidence and it doesn't happen that way. You've got to have a metamorphosis. You've got to have a transformation to where you are no longer the dominant person in your life, but you've turned yourself over to the Lord. And then you come out this beautiful butterfly. You start experiencing this goodness of God. You know, I like to blame the devil for everything I can blame him for, but the truth is, with most of us, we're our own worst enemy. You're destroying your life. I think sometimes the devil probably takes notes from you and thought, I never, I never even thought of this one before. We're, in, we're just doing a bang-up job of destroying our own lives. And I'm telling you, you aren't smart enough to run your own life. And I know that's offensive to a lot of people who you've spent a lot of money and years becoming educated and you're very proud of all of your stuff. But the scripture says in in, uh, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, how's that go? Put that up there, Chris. Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Man, that's a powerful scripture. God gave you the ability or the choice. He won't force you to do things his way. He made you a free moral agent and he will give you the choice. But I'm telling you, the only choice that makes sense is to recognize that you aren't smart enough to run your own life. You need a savior. You need God to tell you. You need somebody else controlling your life. And there's a lot of people, even right here in this room. And again, I'm not ragging on any of you. I know that you're the people that came out on a Saturday night. Man, you're the cream of the crop. And yet I can guarantee you there's a lot of people in here that you are doing your own thing. And that's the reason that you're in the mess that you're in. That's the reason that you don't have the joy and the peace. God never intended for you. He gave you the choice. You can run your own life, but he intended for you to choose to let Him live through you, to turn your life over and to be a living sacrifice. The problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. (laughs) And you have to make this decision and just live it the rest of your life. You got to make this decision. But God wants you. And I'm telling you, some of you think that the message tonight is a downer. And man, this is about sacrifice. You're going to sacrifice all of your sickness and your disease and your poverty and your depression and your bitterness and your anger. I'm telling you, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You will never be as happy and as content as when you are putting God first in your life. And again, I just know because I deal with so many people that this is the the root of the problem with so many things. I have people come up and they're so sick. And I guarantee you, you just, I don't know how to say this properly, but you can't be as sick as some people are without just doing your own thing. If you were loving God, man, the, the joy of the Lord, the Bible says in Proverbs 17, the the merry heart does good like a medicine. The reason some people are sick is because you're so miserable because you've been doing your own thing and you don't have the joy of the Lord and it causes physical problems on the inside of you. When you are walking with the Lord and enjoying the presence of the Lord, it's just, it's healthy. It'll bless you. Everything would work better. You'd be more attractive to people. You'd get along better with people if you didn't look like you'd been drinking prune juice. Amen. <laughs> hey, you would find out relationships would work better. You would have a great attitude. And when you go to work, people it would promote you because you just are a positive influence. There's some of I you, mean, when people come up and say, how are you? They're sorry they asked because you just <laughs> spew out on them all of your problems. I'm telling you that would leave if you were just totally yielded to the Lord and in love with God, the joy of the Lord would flow in you and it would just transform your life. I highly recommend it. And the scripture says that the Lord will keep that which you commit unto him. No committing, no keeping. You have to commit yourself. You're the one that has to make this decision. God doesn't force it on you. You know, God is a good God and He will never force Himself upon you. You have to choose to do this. So tonight, I'd just like to encourage you to to make this same choice that Moses did, saying, who am I? He came to the end of himself and then he found out, he laid his life down, God gave it back and man, he took what God gave him And Moses became so confident that when people came out against him, he says, If you die a natural death, then you'll know that I'm not a prophet of God. But if something brand new happens and the earth opens up and swallows you alive into the pit, then you'll know that God spoke by me. That's not a man who's self confident. That's a man who knew who he was. He knew that God was directing him, and he became confident in the Lord. Man, you need to be that bold but not in yourself, in who Christ has made you and what he's done in your life. It's up to you. Amen? Amen. You know, here's what I'd like to do tonight. I, and I know that this is short notice. And some of you, you, you think, man, I need to think about this because this is laying my life down. This is giving up everything, saying I'll go anywhere, do whatever. I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. I'm telling you, you just can't do this on your own. You have, to do, you have to respond to the Lord when he draws you. And I believe that God led me to say these things tonight. And I believe that God is drawing people unto himself. And I would encourage you not to lean under your own understanding and go home and just think about this. You'll wind up being the same as you were before. But if you feel like God is speaking to you and you're recognizing that, you know what? I have never done this. And this is the reason I'm having so many problems is because I'm the one who's dictating my life. I've never laid my life down. Then I'd like to ask you to just respond tonight and say, you know, I'm gonna make a commitment. He will keep that which I commit. And I'm making a commitment that starting tonight. I'm, asking, I'm giving God the freedom to take control of my life. And I want to have one of these burning bush experiences where God reveals himself to me and I lay my life down and I'm committing myself. I'm gonna seek this and I'm gonna be open and God's gonna intervene in my life. You know, if that's you, I'd like you to just be bold enough tonight to just stand right where you are and let me pray for you. And I believe that this is gonna change your life. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.